Welcome to the Reaching Forward Podcast. Got power? It's time for Bible study. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. And chapter 6 is such a blessing. We're going to divide it into two parts because it's a lot of stuff. And the first part, we're going to look at the beginning, the first, let's see, what do I have? 12 verses. So the first 12 verses, we're going to deal with relationships. Uh, specifically family relationships in verses 1 to 4, workplace relationships in verses 5 to 9, and our relationship with our spiritual enemy, that's the devil, verses 10 to 12. And then next week, part 2, we're going to do verses 13 to 24. And we're going to deal with armor up and going over our armor in God. So thanks for being with us. My name is Pastor Adam Bigelow. I'd like to invite you to church Sunday morning, 9 a.m., 1857 Wells Road, Orange Park, Florida, 32073, in the parking lot, outside church, drive up church, come and be with us, 9 a.m., only lasts about 30 or 40 minutes, and uh, uh, God bless you. We, we, we hope that you would come and check us out. A baker was asked to prepare a cake for a wedding with the inscription, 1 John chapter 4, 18. Well, he was in a hurry, so instead he put John chapter 4, verse 18, instead of 1 John, two different books. And he wrote out the whole scripture. Well, when the bride saw the cake, she passed out. Well, what's 1 John 4, 18? <laughs> there is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. But the one he actually wrote was John chapter 4 and verse 18, which reads, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Let's pray. Father, be with us in this Bible study and all these eager hearts. In Jesus' name, bless us, we pray. Amen. The last chapter of Ephesians is about relationships. Relationships are important. One, your relationship to Jesus Christ is going to determine where you spend eternity. And your relationship with husbands and wives and children and parents and co-workers are going to really affect your life down here. Relationships is the name of the game. Well, what about uh, real estate? What are the three most important things in real estate? Have you heard this? Location, location, location. Well, I'd say probably the three most important things in life are relationships, relationships, relationships. Actually, that's what this Bible studies on. Relationships at home, at work, and to the enemy. And the whole book of Ephesians is about our relationship with Christ, our position we have because of our relationship with Christ. Relationships. So this Bible study was called Got Power. And it's been a Bible study highlighting our position in Christ. We have power in our position in Christ because of our relationship to him. It's not just saying Jesus, Jesus. That doesn't get you anywhere. So you preach a bit, anybody can use the name Jesus. Well, 
In Acts chapter 19, some guys did. Beginning in verse 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus. Now they didn't serve God, but they just took upon themselves. I'm going to just say Jesus. Saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. They didn't have their own walk with God. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now notice what happened. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Notice what happened. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. You see, it's not just saying Jesus, but it's walking with Jesus. It's having Jesus as your Savior. It's not the position of power we have in Christ, but we have to remember our relationship with Christ is so important. So let me ask you a question. You're listening, you're driving to work, half awake, driving from work, half tired. (laughs) How's your relationship with Jesus? Well, I hope it's awesome, but if not, it can be. So Ephesians is really about power, isn't it? Well, it can be misread and you can miss the relationship. Well, have you ever read 2 Ephesians? No, really, 2 Ephesians. Preacher, what Bible are you reading from? Same one as you're reading from. I hope so. Well, Ephesians was written by Paul from Rome in about 64 AD, give or take. The second letter to the Ephesians, or 2 Ephesians, Preacher, I'm turning off this podcast. Well, just hold on. The second letter to the Ephesians was written about 32 years later by John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos. We know it as the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and let's look at verse 1. Unto the angel, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, right. So this is about 32 years later. Ephesus had some issues. They had an issue. Let's look at it. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And those are the churches. The stars are the preachers or the pastors. And in verse 2, it says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and how and thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not and hast found them liars and has borne and has had patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. So these people, they had uh, an identification with the Word of God. They knew what the Word of God said in the church in Ephesus. They knew who was a faker, and they, they didn't quit going to church. They dealt with things. They dealt with hard times. They worked for God. They invited people to church. But notice verse 4. Second Ephesians had to be written because they lost something, didn't they? Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Well, how important was that, preacher? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. We need to get back to the relationship in God. 
That's where your power comes from. It's that faith in Jesus Christ. Let's revitalize that in our hearts and in our minds. Make up our mind to have our faith in Christ strong. So we're going to look at three relationships. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 Ephesians. Let's just begin. Verse 1. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. My daughter knows this. All I have to say is, children, when she disobeys and she says the rest of the verse. Why? Because, you know, kids have some times where they just want to do what they want to do. So do grown-up kids. Well, you have to obey something. And God is teaching us about obedience. Family relationships, someone's going to have to obey someone. As a Christian, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my Commandments. I like what this bumper sticker said. It said, it said, tithe if you love Jesus. Anybody can honk. But you see, Adam in the Garden of Eden chose the wrong relationship. Really, if you look at the account, he chose his relationship with Eve. She was eating that mango and offered it to him. God told him not to eat it. Well, he ate it anyway. Seems like he wanted to keep his relationship with Eve up over his relationship with God. But our relationship is shown by our obedience, isn't it? There's an obedience in a relationship. For in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I tell my daughter, you've got a job to obey your parents. That's your job. That's your work for God. Well, as you grow up, Our work for God is to be obedient to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. There's that obedience. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Let's go to verse 2. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. If you look at the the Ten Commandments, uh, the Fifth Commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, and it's given a promise that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. There's a blessing associated to the commandments of God. You know that I'm thankful. As we live in God's word, and I have a relationship with God, the blessing is in that relationship. What is to honor? It says honor your father and your mother. That means to fix a value upon. Like you've ever said, someone's got a prized, uh, you know, prized collection of baseball cards. Well, they're valuable to them. And when you want to increase the value of something, or it does increase, say it's an asset. It increases in value. You call that appreciated, right? It appreciates. Say, preacher, but I have a wife. Do you value her? Well, yes, I value her. She's the greatest. Well, do you appreciate her? You see, an unappreciated wife will depreciate. Well, do you have a husband? Well, yeah, but he's okay. Well, Do you appreciate him? If you want to go up in value, try appreciation. I was reading this book called 
How Full Is Your Bucket? It's by Tom Rath and Donald O. Clifton. So it had this ratio. It's five to one. Five acts that are positive to one negative act. These are interactions in relationships. So five positive interactions to one negative. There's like a magic ratio, they said. Say, wow, you mean five positive to one negative? Yes. So check this out. They did a study. And uh, a gentleman named John Gottman, he pioneered research on marriages. And he did a study with two mathematicians to test this model. In 1992, they recruited 700 couples who had just received their marriage licenses. For each couple, the researchers videotaped a 15-minute conversation between the husband and the wife and counted the number of positive and negative interactions. Then, based on this 5 to 1 ratio, they predicted whether the couple would stay together or divorce. Ten years later, Gottman and his colleagues followed up with each couple to determine the accuracy of their original predictions. The results were stunning. They had predicted divorce with 94% accuracy based on scoring the couple's interactions for 15 minutes. They hypothesized that if you get the ratio of one to one, one positive for one negative, you're headed for divorce. Well, you know what? Whether or not you believe that, let me tell you what. Honoring your father and mother, you don't have to obey your father and mother because you're a grown-up. But to value them and honor them works in all your family relationships. Value your child. Value your wife. Value your husband. They're the most precious thing in the world to you. They're what's going to be around your bed, uh, your, your, uh, uh, your deathbed, <laughs> or not, depending on how you honor them. They're the greatest things in the world, the people that are around you that you love. And the Bible says, and ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture is to train up, like train up your child in the way that they should go. And when they are grown, they won't depart from it. And admonition is a mild rebuke, a calling attention to. Now, with our kids, a mild rebuke is kind of the, you've got to correct your kids. You've got to love them. If you love them, correct them. But you don't have to beat on them. The Bible says, I mean, you know, hypothetically, you don't have to pick on them. Because have you ever seen that big button from Staples and you press it and it says, that was easy. It's like a big red button. And we know our children's buttons, right? We know our child's buttons. It says, don't provoke your children to wrath, right? Don't provoke your wife to wrath. Give them a break. And if you know they struggle with something, give them some grace, okay? But train them up in the way that they should go in love. We're to teach our children. And the Bible said that there are four places we should teach them. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible talked about teaching the law unto your kids. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now, let me break that down. So you're supposed to talk about God's law, we don't follow the law of Moses, but if you can take this to talking about Jesus, talking about his resurrection, talking about his faithfulness, when you're in your house, when you're out of your house, when you go to bed, and when you get up, 
Now, doesn't that strike you as being like everywhere? <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 8 to 12, they wouldn't even stop there. The Jews were commanded to bind them. So they had portions of scripture called phylacteries. They would put them on their, between their forehead, and it was like a little box with scripture in it, like a couple fragments of scripture, right? A few scriptures. And they'd put them on their arm and bind them on their arm and bind them on their forehead. And so it, was, it would be connected to the things that you do and the things that you think. You'd be reminded of that, okay? And not only, it wouldn't stop there. In verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, they would write them. They'd have these little things called mezuzah. And they would have these little boxes. And they would have uh, pieces of scripture, excuse me, on the front door of their house. And on different places in their house. And when you pass by, you'd kind of reverently put your hand on the mezuzah. And it would remind you of your relationship to God, to be obedient to God, to remember God's word. And verse 10, why? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt remain, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know, blessings can be hazardous to your spiritual health if you forget who gave them to you. Let's remember Jesus. Let's remember who brought us out of sin. Let's remember who we serve. Let's remember our relationship, our family relationships. And verses 5 to 9 is workplace relationships. Servants, be be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. This works for slaves uh, 2,000 years ago, domestic servants 2,000 years ago, slaves today, domestic servants today, or what most of us probably have in our relationship, our workplace relationships. It says, Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Boy, isn't that counterintuitive. You're not supposed to serve the boss like he's the devil. You're supposed to have an attitude in your mind and in your heart as you're serving, not that he is Christ, but as unto the Lord, you're making sure your obedience is to your boss. Woo! Not with eye service as men pleasers, not just when he's looking, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Well, I don't like where I work, preacher. You don't understand where I work. And you know, I may not. But I remember when I was a young Christian, I met another young Christian. Went to a different church. And uh, his name, last name I think was Horton. And he was really excited about God. Young, married man. I was single. And he was telling me that he would go, he worked in a kind of a shop. I don't know if it was a maintenance shop, but he would go to the shop and he would pray over that shop. Maybe he would get there early. And, you know, kind of claim it for God. And I was thinking, man, that's awesome. 
And you think, well, that's not really fair. Yeah, it's not really fair to the devil, is it? It's awesome. Maybe you could do that. If you want to change it, go claim it for God. Go claim all of the workstations for God. Don't touch your workmate's stuff, all right? But just go claim that place for God. Jesus was a servant. You know that when Jesus came in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, it said, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was our example. That's our leader. That's our God. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue that should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father you know I want to be a representative of that Jesus on this earth because that's my God and that's where I'm going verse 9 and ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. God doesn't care how much money you have. Masters have a servant attitude as well. Now, there's three motives for obedience. And the first one is I have to, like if you're a child or a slave, right? You've got to. You've got no choice. Number two. I need to, like you're an employee, if I don't do that, or maybe I had better, <laughs> I might not have a job, so it's probably a good idea. So you got to have to is the first motive, I need to is the second motive, but what about the Christian motive? I want to. I get to versus I got to. Let me ask a question, where do you live in your relationships? If you live in I have to or I need to, why don't you step up? Let's move up to this highest motivation. I want to. And if, if I'm not there, are you willing to be made willing? God can work with that. Verses 10 to 12. Our relationship with our enemy. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So in the conclusion of the letter, we're going to even uh, hone in a little bit more. Paul said, in conclusion, chapter 6, the whole letter, this is what's important. In conclusion, brothers, sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You don't even have to look in the mirror and flex to do that, right? And the power of God. Put on the whole armor of God. W-H-O-L-E. Not H-O-L-E. The whole armor, the complete armor of God. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery, the schemes of the devil. You know, he has no power over the Christian, so he tries to trick you out of your blessings. He'll lie to you. He'll try to get you to lay down your sword, lay down your shield. That's next week. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Our relationship with our enemy is to do what? Be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might. We are to put on everything that God gives us. And we're going to deal with the practicality of this. I'm not going to tell you to get dressed every morning, you know, and put the helmet of salvation on every morning. You should really leave this stuff on, okay? Like you leave your skin on. You need the armor of God 24 hours a day. This just brings a light to what these things represent. We should always have the armor of God on. And you know, as a Christian, you really have them. They're right there in front of you. The Bible tells us to take them. We'll get there next week, but uh, that's verse 13. But uh, let me give you an idea where we're going to start. You need to activate the armor. Have you ever had a debit card in the mail? It comes in the mail or credit card in the mail. It's yours. It's got your name on it. It's wired to your account, but it doesn't work, does it? There's a little strip of uh, uh, like a sticker on the back, and it says, to use this card, you must activate it. Let's activate our armor of God. That's next week. And this week, the three most important things, relationships at home, relationships at work, and your relationship with the enemy, not physical enemies, but our spiritual enemy, the devil. God bless you is our prayer. I've come back next week. Meet us in church. We hope to have a message this Thursday. God bless you in this time of COVID. Through it all, God works all things together for good. And we know this, to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his service, uh, according to his uh, service, we trust God will be a blessing to you. And if you're in the area and you would like to come out and join us, please come out and join us in service this Sunday. And uh, that's according to his purpose. God bless you is our prayer. Have an awesome week.